small presses, author publishers, they're really filling the gap that is uh, left open by big presses and issues of diversity and inclusion. So we're kind of seeing a reckoning at the larger scale side for issues like this. But in the independent space, um, we've always been very diverse. We've always been very inclusive. So I think in 2020, we'll see more of that coming up and coming forward. But we're also going to see a, a lot of reckoning coming as well as people kind of deal with these issues at a larger scale. I think that'll be interesting to watch and see how it happens. And not just interesting, but extremely important for our industry. Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. This podcast is brought to you by the Independent Book Publishers Association at ibpa-online.org. I'm your host, Peter Goodman, and today we are talking with Angela Bull, the CEO of IBPA, and we are talking about what key issues and what sort of things lie ahead for publishing and for publishers in the year 2020, which, as many people have already pointed out, is a year aptly named for visionary thinking. So, welcome, Angela. Thanks, Peter. It's good to be back on the podcast. Always a good time. Yes, good to have you back again. What I'd like to do is kind of uh, talk about the issues coming up to 2020 and just go over some of the, some of the key things that are, are kind of holdovers maybe from the year 2019, which began to bubble up then and which are reaching a conclusion or are still continuing on into the coming year. And a couple things uh, occurred to me. Um, uh, Trump, you know, imposed tariffs, and he was threatening to put tariffs on in December. Those got delayed, but they haven't completely been taken off the table, and that could affect children's book publishers big time. Uh, we had talked about the CASE Act previously, making it uh, easier to file uh, copyright claims for uh, for publishers. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about libraries and ebooks. Uh, having to do with pricing and limiting the uh, number of times that a, uh, a library was able to serve up an ebook, uh, Just lots and lots of different things. And those are some of the things that, that, that occurred to me from last year. What are, what are some of your key issues uh, coming up for 2020? Yeah, yeah. Those Well, it's, it was hard for me to think, Peter, uh, when we talked about jumping into this podcast and talking about 2020, it was hard for me to think about where to start. Because um, there's so much that we could look at, and there, I think it's going to be an exciting year for publishing and a lot going on to look at. So maybe it makes sense uh, to start a little bit at what what are the rollovers, as you kind of called them, that mm-hmm. are kind of at the cusp here uh, coming into 2020. There There is a lot of legislation in that space. You mentioned the CASE Act, and uh, I know the podcast, if, if uh, listeners go back, you'll find a podcast on the CASE Act that you did with the Authors Guild, which is very, very helpful and very good to listen to. Um, That Copyright Alliance and Small Claims Enforcement Act uh, should get passed in the first part of 2020. It's held up right now in the Senate, um, unfortunately, so we have a campaign to try to get it out of the Senate, get it voted on, and put into play. I think that's going to be a very important copyright act for uh, people, uh, small businesses, and as you know, a lot of IVP members are small businesses, uh, as a way to uh, help them get their copyright claims uh, ha- listened to, heard, and resolved in a meaningful way that's not going to cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. So certainly, if you're a small publisher, I would say keep your eyes on the CASE Act, support it, let's get it out of the Senate, let's get it passed into law. Um, that's a big one. And you talked about tariffs, too. You know, a lot of things governmentally interestingly, that we could look at and think about. The the tariffs were pushed back, as you said, so, so 
We didn't have tariffs put on books printed in China, children's books printed in China. They didn't hit on the 15th, but nobody knows at all what will happen coming into the first part of this year. So we could still see tariffs on these books. The trade war with China is still going on. Conversations are still happening. A lot of volatility in that space. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are kind of holdovers, I would say, uh, that we'll want to see resolution on sooner rather than later, if possible. Um, and, again, both of those things have to do with governmental issues. Um, there's a lot going on in our government right now, so it's hard to know what what will come and what will go at this point. Right. And uh, one of the other issues that was uh, that was popping up that uh, seems sort of technical and arcane uh, when, you, when you started looking at the details having to do with uh, e-book sales to libraries. And it's another one of these issues where uh, a lot of small publishers uh, being rather powerless in terms of their ability to move legislation and lobby legislators are kind of standing by and waiting and trying to figure out, A, what is going on, and B, what's the impact of this going to be? Right. But this is a big issue involving uh, publisher Macmillan. They're kind of holding the line on you know some of the policies they have regarding pricing to libraries and also the limitation they're imposing on libraries on the number of times they can... Uh, uh, serve up a book or even the number of copies that are allowed to purchase within the, was it the first six or eight weeks of publication? Yeah, lo- lots of detail in the in what they're trying to do. Uh, I guess if I were to explain it, it's the windowing aspect of, of e-books into libraries. You know, of course, there are variants in, in the windowing and what comes first. But essentially, they're saying, let's sell the print book first, Um you know, let's give it some time in the marketplace to sell, and then we'll open ebooks into the library market later. Because um, ebooks in the library market are huge. I mean, it's picking up and, and growing exponentially. People are using libraries to read ebooks, not necessarily even to go into a library and check out print books. So, yeah, Macmillan certainly was the company in 2019 that held its ground very strongly, that windowed uh, ebooks into libraries and didn't back down when there was a lot of controversy surrounding it coming from the library community. Of course, you know, you have to say uh, absolutely supportive of libraries. We need them in our communities. It's a very important place uh, for people, uh, for readers to go and for, for our community to connect to, so that's great. It, it is an interesting thing to think about, though, for the from a publisher's perspective, what windowing could do for your sales of print books. And, you know, they have some data, not a lot of data, but apparently Macmillan did see positive results from doing this. So I think in 2020, more publishers are going to experiment with ebook windowing into libraries and just, you know, your formats, generally speaking. Um, when you release format, which format, when, to which marketplaces. Um, there's no reason not to exper- experiment with that since you can. Um, we'll just see what has to happen in that space. And, and I also agree, you know, it does sound technical and people maybe don't pay a ton of attention to these kinds of things, but sales is, you know, that's your bread and butter. So maybe we have to think about what's selling where and how much. Well, a lot, a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these issues, they do involve uh, big publishers, uh, and millions and millions of dollars are at stake for them, depending on you know which which way the law falls. Uh, a lot of these, uh, though, they don't affect um, author publishers, very small independent publishers who like who, as I say, uh, either don't have access to uh, to the markets or they have no ability to to influence legislation or or lobbyists. Uh, I, I wonder where where you see the um, 
you know, there's a, there's this giant pool of big publishers moving things and setting the terms. But where where do you think independent publishers continue to fit in? And particularly, uh, what do you think is the role of author publisher in the year ahead? Do you see uh, important changes coming up? Well, yeah. I mean, I th- but also I would push back a little bit on the that they can have no impact, right? Like I I would stand very strongly on the hill that says they can have an impact for sure on legislative issues and that. On mass, you know, author publishers in particular are the largest publishing force in the U.S. today. There's, you know, more books published by author publishers than the big five can get out. So uh, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, but small publishers like us have have influence through organizations like uh, like IBPA. Right. Right. Yes. You took me to my conclusion. Yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that if you're if you're you know on your own and you're you know sitting in your living room, it can feel very lonely. But yes, I mean, engage with your um, national organizations, and and I think on mass, you can have a, a great deal of influence. So there's certainly that, um, you know, and also you know what's up, what will come for author publishers or small presses, you know, what will we see in this space? I think it's been very interesting to watch this increased scrutiny on issues of diversity and inclusion that's kind of hit the larger, the big five space, if you will, over this past year. Um, Because, you know, as I've worked at IBPA for the past six, seven years now, this is where diversity and inclusion, it's a sweet spot for that. I mean, small presses, author publishers, they're really filling the gap that is uh, left open by big presses um, and issues of diversity and inclusion. So we're kind of seeing a reckoning at the larger scale side with issues uh, for issues like this. But in the independent space, um, we've always been very diverse. We've always been very inclusive. So I think in 2020, we'll see that more of that coming up and coming forward. But we're also going to see a, a lot of reckoning coming as well as people kind of deal with these issues at a larger scale. I think that'll be interesting to watch and see how it happens, and not just interesting, but extremely important for our industry as well. I suppose you could make the argument that one of the reasons that independent publishers and author publishers have have been able to jump into the breach is because they're there because there was no place for them in the uh, in the larger publishing universe or the more corporate publishing universe. Of course. Universe. Absolutely, yeah. You know, if you keep knocking on a door long enough and no one answers it, you know, you're just going to open your your own door. Or that metaphor probably didn't go all the way <laughs> where it needed to go. But exactly, exactly what you said. There, there hasn't been space and room and acknowledgement of a lot of different types of stories. So, you know, those stories are need to be told and will be told. Um, they'll find a way through, and and they have um, millions, millions of these stories. So yeah, I totally agree with that. I suppose that has a lot to do also with the uh, the ability that the uh, internet and social media give uh, book promoters and marketers the uh, the ability to to kind of silo their books and find exactly the right audience. If you're a large general bookstore relying on a kind of a general clientele in a large city, you don't really have you don't really know who's going to walk in the, walk in the door. So you you kind of have maybe a, a bland set of offerings that are kind of designed to service, uh, uh, you know, most general tastes, but it, it wouldn't make maybe business sense to have a very, very specific shelf section for a demographic that you're not sure is ever going to walk into your office. Whereas if you're on the, if you're online and pitching through the internet, you can reach every single audience you want, you know, exactly where they are, what they look like, what sort of things they buy. And of course, you're a part of that community, so you know how to talk to them, and you're not just kind of inventing something out of some publicity handbook. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's the dream, right? And, um, you know, and saying all that too and kind of placing it in the sphere of bookstores and how bookstores can seem a little cookie cutter, if you will. Um, you know, if you walk in, well, let's just uh, lean into the conversation a little bit about Barnes & Noble, I think, off of that because they're, Barnes & Noble is another uh, key thing to watch in 2020. And this is my opinion now, I will say it, but people can, listeners can disagree if they'd like. But over the past many years, I think I've seen Barnes & Noble in particular become very cookie cutter as a store. You know, I don't care if you walk into Barnes & Noble in southern Texas or Barnes & Noble in New York City, you're basically seeing the same books placed in the same places. You know, it's the same store, and they haven't really paid much attention to localization um, they haven't paid attention to, you know, what's happening in local communities, et cetera. You know, to the largest degree, I'm sure there are outliers, as there are in all things. Um, but you know, this past, again, just at the end of 2019, Barnes & Noble was purchased by Elliott Advisors, uh, you know, like a $7 million deal. If we want to think that books don't make money, that's $700 million. Um, and the new CEO, James Dott, seems to really be leaning into and focusing on localization as a, a thing for Barnes & Noble going forward, wanting to create stores that are more about the community and the things that happen in that community, less about books kind of piped in from the corporate office in New York City. Um, that's an interesting thing I think we should watch and, and think about because we do need bookstores in communities that can address communities, at, you know, where they are. So if Barnes & Noble can do that, that would be great. We'd love to see it. Um, we'd love to see how we can get the big, you know, corporate bookstore in space and aligned with and working in tandem with our independent bookstores, which are also so, so important um, in our communities. So I'm, I'm really interested in seeing that and not walking into every store and looking at the exact same books that, you know, I could get at the airport if mm -hmm. I wanted to. Well, I have a bit of a different different impression of Barnes & Noble regarding uh, localization. I, I mean, it is very hard to get the corporate buyers to, to, to buy a book. But at the, at the local level, most of the managers that I hear stories about, and I know the local ones, they, they seem to actually encourage uh, local authors to come in and, you know, have, uh, have book events there. And unlike... Um, uh, most independent bookstores, they're not looking for a, a co-op fee from the publisher. Um, but that may, as you say, just depend on the, on the particular local manager trying to, uh, you know, get more local traffic into the store because that, that of course, uh, is how their performance is measured. Um, I would also say that the Barnes and Noble that I go into, it's like half of the store is non-book product. Uh, wallets, sidelines. They've got big toy sections now, puzzles, uh, all, all sorts of things like that. It's hard to, I mean, if it's a bookstore, it's a bookstore. If it's a kind of a general purpose store, then you'd think it'd be, it, it's going to be run by, by a whole different set of rules. So right. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see exactly how they, how they manage their inventory as much as they manage their mentality, because those, those things definitely go together. Yeah, I had a friend of mine who very was very close to Barnes & Noble say, Barnes & Noble isn't for bibliophiles any longer. And I thought that was the most bibliophile thing anyone could say. Yeah. <laughs> like, it certainly sells books, but it's more like a family center, like a place to bring your kids and grab a cup of coffee and, um, you know, books too, if you will. But yeah, all of those things. And, and I think, you know, if, if what they're, if the only thing they do is, is listen to their 
local managers more. You know, as you say, a lot, some of them are trying to, to bring in a local talent. If they just listen to them more than listen to the corporate office, it'd be an interesting 2020 for Barnes & Noble. What, what do you, uh, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about bookstores. Um, you know, for all of us in publishing, bookstores matter, but increasingly the question is they matter to whom? Uh, so many consumers now are shopping online. Uh, we were talking before about uh, publishers being able to find their own um, their own demographic or their own community of readers, if you will, uh, online or through direct sales or you know pushing people to to buy on Amazon. Uh, Amazon is still a very very big player. The indie booksellers seem to be holding up, but I wonder to what extent. Uh, indie booksellers are uh, important in the aggregate to uh, a lot of uh, author publishers or independent publishers. And what I mean to say by that is uh, we can all go into our local bookstore and become friends with the owner and uh, maybe have them take the books, either order them through a distributor or take them on consignment. But Maybe someone can only do that for about 10 bookstores, and there are thousands of bookstores in the nation. Getting your book into uh, independent bookstores that are not in your locality, that are not in your region, is a huge challenge for most for most small publishers. Uh, if they don't have a distributor, it's it's even uh, it's it's near impossible because you know bookstores aren't yeah. they don't want to work from individual publishers. So how? I mean, I understand it's a, it's a big market. They move a lot of books. But if you're a, an author publisher and you have limited energy and you have limited funds, are the independent booksellers the place where you should be concentrating outside of your local community? Or do you really have to uh, kind of forget that market and really concentrate on places like Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble if you can get in there because they have a national sales force? They do, yeah. Yeah, Um well, I, I absolutely adore independent bookstores, so everything that I say is caveated there. But I, I don't think I could ever follow up the, what you just said with, yes, of course, you should focus on independent bookstores, because everything you said was, was right. It, it's very difficult. I would say if you don't have traditional distribution and you don't have, you know, 10 books or more that kind of like are under your umbrella that you, you're responsible for as the publisher... I, I don't think that that's a place that you should look. I mean, I think, you, as you said, you can have very good experiences in, in your local space, in your local community, with your local bookstores, but national uh, distribution into bookstores, that's the game of distributors. And without a distributor uh, and some understanding of how you're going to deal with print runs and returns that will come through that process and the, uh, you know, the discounts that they require... No, I mean, save yourself a lot of time and focus on Amazon and online sales and your niche markets and the community you can, reader communities that you can build and, and sell into. Um, yeah, I mean, that that would be my advice. I think that indie bookstores, I think we can say they will be stable. I mean, I did write a, a couple notes down about 2020 for indie stores. Um, the, the best headline I saw was the one that came out of... Uh, the holiday sales, and it was said that Indies saw strong holiday shopping with a season that was down 0.31% over last year. So, you know, what we're seeing is the strong things, the strong is down. You know, the new normal, the new up is down, at least a little bit. 
Um, what we want to see is stability if we can. What we want to see is at least just year over year, we're not losing lots of ground on sales, uh, indie bookstore sales. Uh, but I, I'm not sure what we're going to see. I think we'll we'll see things that are stable, hopefully. Um, but then again, we also saw print unit sales dropped about uh, 3.7% after Christmas as well. So print sales, generally speaking, it's hard um, bookstores, they just focus on print. They don't have a strong ebook philosophy. That's also hard. Um, and it's, again, if you don't have a lot of books or traditional distribution, that's a hard place for you to be. So I don't know if that's what the note we're going to end on. Maybe we'll, we'll pick a po- more positive topic <laughs> coming out of this. But it's a, it's a tough business for sure. It's a well, tough but very, well, very important uh, business. Instead of saying uh, what keeps you up at night, which is, you know, the – the, the the standard uh, question: What what makes you sleep soundly at night? What what do you think is going really really well in the uh, in the world of independent publishing these days? Oh, I think that's such a great question to think about because um, I don't think we think about that enough. At least I don't in my world. Yeah, we're kind of well, problem The thing oriented. that makes me excited, I guess, is the excitement that we experience here at IPPA from all of our members about the books that they're publishing. So, for example, um, what's going well, we are in the middle of our Benjamin Franklin Award judging process right now, so uh, we will announce the winners at a ceremony in April. This is an amazing time for us in the office. We get 3,000 entries, something like that, um, and all of these books are amazing, and all the publishers are super passionate about the stories that they're telling. Um, so I think that helps me sleep well. I, I do feel like independent publishers are putting out amazing content today. I do wish there was more uh, access to distribution for the independent publishers so that this content could reach more readers. That is a problem. So we just kind of walked through that whole problem. But the content itself is is really great and really important and really meaningful to a lot of people. I guess you kind of feel that maybe the uh uh, the the corporate types are going to be very meth- methodical and mathematical in their evaluation of things, and they will turn down perfectly wonderful books because for some reason it doesn't fit their bottom line. But when you come back to uh, author publishers and independent publishers, it seems to me like they're going to keep publishing regardless. Yeah, I mean, they are. Maybe they don't have distribution, but they are into it for the content, for the excitement, for the contribution they feel is making to the culture, and maybe it's to uh, work out their own demons or to um, you know draw attention to issues that they feel are important to them personally. That's that's kind of what makes independent publishing independent and and not corporate. It's more of a commitment to the uh, uh, to the ideal and to the to the content than it is to any kind of uh, bottom line. Of course. That can only sustain you for so long. I mean, you have a rush of enthusiasm, and then 18 months later, it's like, oh, I can't pay my bills. But it was fun. <laughs> it was fun while we did it. <laughs> while we did well, it. you know, this. Uh, it, we want to get beyond that. I mean, hopefully, as a professional publishers association, IBPA is, is here to help people get beyond that if we can, you know. But a good part of getting beyond the, uh, oh, gosh, now I can't pay my bills, is uh, scalability, you know, the word that, that business term word that I tend to like to use. Um, just more. It essentially just means more. You need more content. You know, if, if you're not, if the, the, one, the first book you wrote, if you're having trouble selling, the best thing, advice I ever could ever give is write the next book or acquire the next book. You know, get more in your hopper, um, and that's helpful 
in order to, quote, pay your bills if, if that's your goal. If your goal is to build a sustainable publishing company, uh, acquisitions and content is really an important thing to focus on. Well, that sounds counterintuitive, but it's it's not. Uh, and I think we should save that for a, uh, for a future conversation because I'm interested in hearing more about that particular philosophy. And I... I think that's a, that's a very hopeful note to, to end on. So uh, we've been talking with uh, Angela Boll, who is the uh, CEO of uh, IBPA. Thank you very much for your time, Angela. And uh, I'm looking forward to a very exciting 2020. Me too, Peter. Thank you. And uh, we really appreciate what you do with this podcast. Thank you for that as well. Thank you, Angela. Bye-bye. That does it for this edition of Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. Well, we started off the year with a brief roundup of important issues heading your way. And uh, one topic that occurred to me afterward was how much of an effect on publishing is the coming November 2020 election going to have? I wonder if anyone has done any studies about this four-year cycle and how it affects sales, content, and publicity via publishing and book sales. Are political books going to push everything else out of the way? Uh, Will newspapers divert their increasingly meager resources more to politically inspired issues than to feature stories featuring yoga, diets, and crime? Will there be less and less real estate in print and online devoted to reading and to books? Or, as I suspect, will this be a boon at least to fiction writers and comfort and pleasure offerings like travel and food? After all, one can only take so many political tirades and political books written by ghostwriters and lobbyists. Maybe the election will be a good excuse to leave reality behind. And that's even before we know the results, which, depending on your own politics, may truly make you want to spend the rest of your life escaping into romance novels or science fiction. Well, thanks again for listening. Let me hear from you at at Peter Goodman or at IBPA on Twitter. I'd especially like to hear suggestions for topics for future broadcasts. And be sure to check out IBPA at ibpa-online.org. I'm Peter Goodman. And as my bosses in Japan used to say, let's have publishing fun.